Chapters forty nine and fifty of Taken at the Flood by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Forty nine. More bitter than death. No sleep visited Edmund Standon's eyelids that night. His eyes had a seared feeling, as if he had been staring into the red hot heart of a furnace. He did not delude himself by going to bed but sat in his dressing-room writing letters till some time after the cocks in the dean-house poultry-yard had offered their shrill salutations to the morn and had been answered by stranger cocks at remotest distance and at all points of the compass only once did he pause from his task-work and that was only to extinguish the burnt-down candles and draw up the venetian blind how bleak and cold the world looked at early dawn even that summer world which would soon be all aglow with brightness and colour it was exactly six o'clock when he sealed the last letter he had written no less than three laid them out in a neat row upon the mantel-shelf where they appeared sufficiently conspicuous in their large business-like envelopes by half-past six he had made his usual toilette and packed his portmanteau this he contrived to convey downstairs noiselessly and out through a long stone passage to the stable-yard here he found help enough for the coachman and groom were both astir he ordered the dog-cart put his portmanteau in and drove off as the clock chimed the quarter before seven his heart had been beating uneasily all the time esther and his mother were both early risers one of them might hear the wheels and be in time to witness his departure yet it mattered very little if they did see him all the abominable truth would so soon be known i didn't know you was going anywheres this morning sir or i'd have had the trap ready said the groom speculatively i didn't know as much myself till last night i'm going to germany for a few months on business oh by the by evans after you've dropped me at the station you'll take the dog-cart home as fast as you can and tell jane to give my mother the letter she'll find on the mantelpiece in my dressing-room she'll have found them before you get home i dare say but there's just the chance of their being overlooked at the monkhampton station mr standon met a man he knew depart from a country town when you will there is generally some individual of your acquaintance who contrives to choose the same day and hour for his journeying mr standon was somewhat brief and unfriendly in his responses to the customary questions as to how far he was going and how long he was likely to be away he withdrew himself to the compartment farthest from that chosen by his acquaintance and altogether comported himself in a sullen and bearish fashion he was too angry with himself to be commonly civil to other people what was he doing running away from the consequences of his sin making a base and dastardly retreat from the ruin his dishonour had wrought he could not look in esther's face and tell her how he had wronged her he could not endure to see those gentle eyes that had never looked upon him in unkindness clouded by tears he could fancy the white change in that innocent face but he could not brook the sight of it so he had written his plighted wife a long passionate despairing letter full of remorse and self-upbraiding humbling himself to the dust but telling her all the bitter truth he had been mistaken when he fancied himself cured of his first fatal passion he had deceived himself when he thought he loved her a hard and humiliating confession for any man to make a crushing announcement for any woman to receive he was on his way to london by the early express speeding on the first stage of a journey that he meant to be a long one ere that letter was delivered to esther rochdale no one but the servants had heard edmund standon's departure the daily business of the quiet orderly household went on just in the usual methodical manner though the young master had ordered the dog-cart and driven off in that unexpected way 
the servants too respectable to be inquisitive concluded that this early departure had been arranged ever so long beforehand mr stanton was going on a little bit of a tour in foreign parts before he married and settled down into a ponderous unlocomotive country gentleman mrs stanton was always reserved she was not a woman who unbosomed herself to an upper housemaid or poured her woes into the ear of a cook the dean house servants lived on the fat of the land had ample wages and kind nursing in the hour of sickness but they lived afar from their mistress and their feelings towards her were rather respectful than sympathetic esther came downstairs at a few minutes before seven just about five minutes after the dog-cart containing her perjured lover had rolled briskly out of the stable-yard with that cheery sound which swift revolving wheels always have on a sunshiny morning a sound of life and progress she strayed out into the garden loitered on the smooth gravel mall gathered a bunch of dewy roses to fill an old oriental bowl on the breakfast-table thought not quite happily of edmund he had seemed dull and tired of late had lost that active spirit which had made him eager for long walks for new music for small domestic pleasures they were working him too hard at the bank yes that was it he always came home tired now esther made the round of garden and orchard took trotty the eldest of edmund's nieces for an appetizing before breakfast walk in one of the meadows did all she could to promote pleasant feelings between trotty and the tawny red-skinned cows of whose placid looks trotty went in awful fear and then relinquishing trotty to the nurse strolled slowly back to the house there are days when sad thoughts come uncalled just as she came to the glass door there flashed upon esther rochdale the memory of a summer morning two years ago the morning when edmund told her of his engagement to sylvia carew the very memory of that morning made her shudder she could recall the old unforgotten pain the sharp sting of an agony which she had hidden with all a woman's self-command i don't think i could bear such another blow as that she said to herself i think if i had to suffer like that again the pain would kill me but what can put such a fancy into my head to-day when everything is changed since that time and i am thoroughly happy she tried to dismiss a memory that seemed mere foolishness and went into the breakfast-room softly singing one of edmund's favourite airs as she arranged her roses mrs standen was not seated before the urn with her open prayer-book ready for the eight o'clock prayers after her usual manner at five minutes before the hour she was standing by the breakfast-table with a pale disordered countenance reading a letter jane the housemaid came into the room with a tray just as esther entered from the garden tell them i don't feel well enough to read prayers this morning said mrs standen without looking up from the letter the servant looked surprised illness save of the most serious character had never been wont to interfere with mrs standen's religious duties she had read prayers in the agonies of headache and neuralgia in the prostration of influenza yet she stood there this morning strong and stern of aspect and said she was too ill for that customary duty is there anything the matter auntie asked esther agitated that pale set face frightened her somehow it was not grief but anger that made it awful there is this much the matter replied mrs standen my only son my too well-loved son is a consummate villain auntie are you mad cried esther with a faint shriek clasping that rigid figure looking wildly at that resolute face horrible visions of possible calamity flashed across her mind edmund had been forging or embezzling or something dreadful of that kind people in banks so often end by forging 
it seems almost a necessary consequence of a confidential position he was a criminal a felon in prison let him be what he might she was his plighted wife she would stand by him in the dock at dartmoor on the scaffold if need were whatever he may be or whatever he has done i shall love him all the same she said proudly with a woman's wrong-headed pride in the extremity of her devotion to worthless man poor child exclaimed mrs stanton with bitter half-contemptuous pity he does not want your love he does not value your fidelity he has the only kind of love he cares for the love of a wicked woman auntie cries the girl with widely opening eyes and one hand stretched out as if to ward off a blow something the merest inkling of the truth creeps into her mind auntie she repeats with desperate entreaty what has he done deserted you for love of sylvia carew i beg that lady's pardon lady Perriam. but you had better read his letter to you and see what kind of excuse he makes for himself he has tried to extenuate his conduct to me not to justify himself he is too wise for that but he is no more a son of mine i have done with him for ever no 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 cried the girl passionately no you shall not renounce him for any wrong done to me he is your son always your son your son to the end what was a mother's love meant for except to outlive all lesser love you are his mother and you cannot shut him out of your heart you could not if you were steeped in sin where is the letter she stretched out her hand almost mechanically to take the letter from the table where it lay beside her plate as if it were the pleasantest letter in the world instead of cleopatra's deadly asp disguised in a sheet of bath-post then with a piteous look at mrs standon she asked why should he write to me could he not tell me with his own lips did he think i should upbraid him he was ashamed of his dishonour esther and he ran away like a defaulting clerk he has gone to germany again a faint cry broke unawares from the girl's pale lips a broken-hearted cry as one of whose palace of life has crumbled suddenly to dust and ashes she broke the seal and read her false lover's letter no sense of degradation could be deeper than that which breathed in every line i hate i despise myself beyond the common measure of contempt he wrote but i love sylvia perriam still i have seen her i need not tell you how our meeting came about the fact is enough i did not set myself to betray you i did not go deliberately to my doom as i hoped for life eternal esther i thought i was cured i believed i loved you no man could have been truer hearted than i was that night on cropley common when i asked you to be my wife it was not till i stood face to face with sylvia not till i was drunken with the sound of her voice with the light of her eyes with the fatal charm that she has for me in every look and tone not till then as i live now and hope to live hereafter did i know that i had never forgotten her never ceased to love her never been less her slave than i was when i first cast every consideration of self-interest to the winds for her sake can i ask you to forgive me no i am too sensible of my own infamy to entreat or to expect forgiveness forget me if you can or if you cannot quite blot out the memory of my dishonour despise me as i despise myself i cannot face the scorn which i have earned i leave deanhouse in all probability never to return to it 
i accept my mother's old sentence of disinheritance i did not deserve it when it was first pronounced but i acknowledge its justice henceforward and now my adopted sister my promised wife there is no other word between us except farewell if i respected you less i might come to you with half allegiance and say let us keep our engagement at the worst there will be as much love and truth between us as there is between three out of every six couples who swear changeless love and honour but i will not offer my pure esther anything less than my whole heart anything less than perfect truth and loyalty passion made me forget myself and i confessed my love for the woman who jilted me two years ago that confession impulsive unconsidered though it was has dug a pit between us which i will not try to bridge over this ended the letter esther stood with her eyes fixed on the lines tearless this was that other blow which she had thought of as a stroke barely within the limits of possibility ten minutes ago it had come very quickly would it be as deadly as she had told herself it must be just at present she seemed wonderfully stoical she calmly folded the fatal letter she took mrs standon's cold hand in both of hers and clasped it tenderly she kissed the rigid resolute face trying to kiss it into softness i can forgive him auntie she said with all my heart cannot you forgive him too no i cannot forgive him i will never forgive him for having treated you so cruelly for having trifled with you cheated you deceived you he deceived himself as well he had no right to practise self-deception that must needs bring sorrow to you oh esther forgive me cried the mother with a sudden burst of tenderness it was my fault in some measure my fault i was so anxious you should be his good angel his consoler i was always praising you to him always leading him on to care for you i know i know answered esther quickly with a pained look it all sprang from your love for me but it was a mistake let us forget it if we can how much better that this should happen now than later if the delusion had lasted only a little longer till i had been his wife and he had found out then that he still loved that other think what an escape we have had escape repeated mrs standon gloomily how can you talk of escape when he has left you for the sake of that false wicked woman when he has gone headlong to his ruin the open bible lay under her hand she turned to ecclesiastes and read in a stern voice solemn as the utterance of an antique sibyl and i find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands whoso pleaseth god shall escape from her but the sinner shall be taken by her fifty sylvia is disappointed after that moonlight meeting in the churchyard lady perriam looked upon her lover's subjugation as a settled thing he would come to her the next day he would declare himself her slave for ever and they would only have to settle between them how soon they could decently marry not until a year after sir aubrey's death that delay seemed inevitable however she might sigh for edmund's companionship and protection for the sense of security that there would be in that union she must needs conform in some measure to the usages of society not until after this year was dead and gone and a new year's snowdrops were white in the shrubbery borders could she be edmund standon's wife he might repent and forsake her in the meantime forsake me she exclaimed with a little laugh of triumph no he would hardly do that i know my power over him now 
he fought his hardest against me last night but the struggle is over he will never try to break his fetters again all that day the day of edmund standon's journey in the monkhampton express lady perriam watched for her lover's coming she had no doubt that ere the day was done he would be at her side he would not pause to calculate the effect of such a visit the possibility of gossip or even scandal arising therefrom he would come full of a lover's rapture reckless of all the world come to ratify his impassioned vows of last night come to set the seal of certainty upon their reunion he would come early perhaps even before noon he would hardly stop for conventional hours breakfast an idle dawdling meal with the widowed lady perriam was over at last she turned over half a dozen books and could read none of them so wandering were her thoughts she looked at herself in the glass and wondered if the change that shadrach bane had presumed to speak of were visible in her face to-day no it was all beaming radiant loveliness triumphant hope had renewed the old lustre happiness was the true median bath it had made her young again the day waned luncheon a meal at which lady perriam tried to be maternal and sacrificed comfort to baby worship succeeded the long blank morning the young heir of perriam ate his morsel of boiled fowl minced to suit his budding teeth cried a little cooed and laughed a little said mam mam was kissed and sent back to his own domain of the nursery lady perriam dismissed him with a yawn i do believe she cares less and less for that blessed little lamb every day of her life said nurse tringfold to nurse carter in an indignant outburst when the latter crept into the nursery to hang over the child's crib for a minute or two and bless him as he slept i never did see such a mother she looks at him sometimes as if she didn't see him and if he frets and whimpers a bit in this gentle manner did mrs stringfold gloss over the bantling's shrieks and yells of rage when his infantine wishes were for the moment crossed she shivers and looks as vexed as if he was somebody else's baby lady perriam is very young said nurse carter apologetically if she's old enough to have a baby she ought to be old enough to care for him answered mrs stringfold snappishly as the afternoon lengthened sylvia grew too impatient to stay indoors she felt that edmund stanton must come very soon now the conventional visiting hour had arrived if he wished to be strictly within rules now was his time her impatience overmastered her she put on her bonnet the widow's little crape bonnet which she rarely touched without a shudder of aversion took up her black parasol and went out she went down the long avenue where the monkey-trees spread their spiky arms above the smooth bright grass this way was the only ceremonial approach to the house the only carriage-way edmund standon would drive most likely and would come this way more than once she had thought of his employment at the bank it was just possible after all that he might not be able to come till the evening just like a shopman at ganslines who could only get out when the shop was shut the idea was humiliating he to be bound by any such restraint he who had once been so grand a gentleman in her sight she walked all the way down the avenue looking straight before her between those two stiff lines of interminable monkey-trees the tall elms rising grandly on either side behind them shutting out the world beyond perriam she looked straight before her for a distant dog-cart or pedestrian but there was nothing nothing but the spiky branches the soft spreading greenery of the elms the grass the long straight road diminishing to a point in the distance the blue warm sky yes there was something human in the remote distance 
a few minutes ago he might have looked like a robin redbreast with that spot of scarlet on his neck now he had developed into a distant boy a telegraph boy evidently with those patches of red which enlivened his garments who would send me a telegram thought sylvia alarmed not edmund certainly there was no telegraphic communication between headingham and Perryham, no railway no public conveyance nothing but the rustic high-road the modest meadow-path the short-cut by widder cornfield the boy came up the avenue whistling what matter if he sometimes carried tidings of ruin or death to him his avocation was commonplace enough he had no idea that he was a kind of spurious mercury messenger of gods and men lady Perriam stopped him as he came up to her what message have you there she asked a telegram for lady Perriam. give it to me i am lady Perriam. the boy looked at her suspiciously i'm bound to deliver it up at the place he said and get the time wrote on it i beg your pardon my lady but i must stick to rules i've a pencil she said will that do emphasizing the question with a fat clean shilling not an attenuated worn-out button of a coin but a full-bodied shilling pencil don't do in general answered the boy but i'll see if i can make it do this time lady Perriam filled in the hour four fifteen more than time that edmund should have come and dismissed the boy then she read her telegram from edmund standon london to lady Perriam Perriam place near monkhampton edmund standon london were the telegraph clerks mad to write such nonsense i have left headingham for an indefinite time on my way to germany after what happened last night it is my only course i could not face home difficulties and thought it well for all interest that i should be away more by letter coward whispered sylvia with a serpent-like hiss is this what his love is worth after all his love for which i have hazarded so much End of chapters 49 and 50